Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about boundaries, what they are, how they can help us and how social media has helped us spotlight our need for them. Joining me this week is Michelle Elman. Michelle is a board certified life coach, author and podcaster. You may know her better by her online handle Scarred Not Scared. She's spoken extensively online about body positivity and representation, as well as in her first book, Am I Ugly?, in which she explores her own journey from childhood illnesses and surgeries to a place of body confidence and acceptance. Her second book, The Joy of Being Selfish, is out in 2021 and tackles the subject of boundaries, something she often gives advice about in her weekly Instagram Q&As. Really exciting you've got a new podcast though. I'm really excited about it, but I get so nervous doing new things. But then I keep seeing things online about over and over again, posts keep popping up about like nobody's really good at something when they start doing it. You just need to do it and then you get better at it. Oh honestly, watch my first YouTube videos or my TikToks and like every all my friends were laughing at me. They were like, You're so cringe. And I was like, just give me a year, I'll be fine. So before we get into talking about specifics, can you explain to us a bit about what life coaching is and how did you get into coaching? Yeah, definitely. So when I got into it five years ago, no one really understood what the word coach meant and they actually thought it was like a sports coach rather than an area of personal development. And the best way to describe it is that life coaches are generally more holistic, whereas everything like a psychologist or a psychotherapist that's very traditional psychology and as much as I started in that field or that was my intention and that was my path I did a BSc in um, psychology and was planning to become a psychologist I just found that there were certain limitations in the way that they practice where they're very um, governed and so they have a practicing body called the BPS and there are only certain ways you can do it and it was things like for example that the whole um, principle in a psychologist session is your, it, there are jokes about it, how a psychologist's face is not meant to react. And I always found that really strange because I was like, that's so disconcerting when you're talking and the person in front of you is not reacting at all. And I understand that so that you don't like gasp out of shock when they say that they've had depression or something like that. But it's also not human. Um, And so uh, there were a few things while I was studying, especially in my third year of my psychology degree, where I just didn't agree with the way they were like the what we call the model of the world or the point of view Mm -hmm. that they were teaching from. And so I walked into my degree absolutely loving psychology and walked out being like, I don't agree with this. Like, I don't agree with how this is being taught. There must be another way to help people um, that wasn't as close-minded and I'm going to say that with a caveat because um, traditional psychology helps so many people but I also believe that there should be options for different kinds of people all humans are so varied and if it helps you that's wonderful if talking therapy is your thing great if CBT is your thing go ahead but then life coaching is this beautiful other option for people who um, prefer to be more future focused so that's one other difference is that um you don't necessarily go to a life coach because you have a problem or your life is broken. Although I don't think anyone goes because they're broken. I don't believe people can break. Um, And so uh, with psychologists, they tend to go to your past a lot more, whereas um, a life coach will ask, how do you want your life to be? And that's what we're going to work towards. And so the only problems that come up in your life are things that are obstructing the future that you want rather than um, going into your past and, figuring it out that way if that makes sense yeah if you think you've already got things that you want to fix then maybe more traditional therapy whereas if 
things are kind of okay, but you just want help moving forwards, then maybe life coaching might be the one. Yeah, and it's also not so clear cut. And it's why it's hard to describe because a lot of traditional psychologists will get training in um, the things I'm trained in. So it's called neurolinguistic programming. I'm trained in a few other things like timeline therapy, which are more holistic approaches. But Mm -hmm. traditional psychologists are now really open to those models. And life coaches sometimes have a background in traditional psychology as well. So it's not that clear cut but I think the shift for me personally and why I chose to be a life coach was in third year I actually ended up going to a therapist for the first time a psychologist for the first time and um it was really helpful for four months and I couldn't have got to the place I was without those four months but after four months I felt like it was limited in um their approach so I had PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder and I remember saying to the psychologist um okay so what do we do now like how do I move on like I can't I I can't live like this every day and she was like you don't move on you just learn how to manage it and I'm just I'm not that kind of person and I was like I was happy three months ago how do I go back to happy and whilst now with five years of experience I'm like happy doesn't exist happy is a temporary emotion back then I was like no I was normal three months ago I must be able to go back to normal um But that all comes up in any personal development journey. I think there's always the questioning of like, what's normal? Um, I want to go back to me, but what is me? And will I lose me if I start working on myself? And all of those fears are in whichever approach you take. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely if you're if you're starting to speak to anyone really about how your brain's working, I feel like it can always be a bit of a hurdle. Um, Yeah. So you were saying about psychologists or therapists are registered with a particular body. Yeah. Is there anything similar for life coaches? So if there's someone listening who thinks, oh, I feel like I might like to give this life coaching thing a try. Is there some qualifications they should be looking for? Or what would you kind of advise if they're looking for one? So I'm accredited by five boards, but the difference between life coaches and psychologists is that you don't have to be. And so that's also a danger within the it, it comes with a pro and a con, comes with a con. So the pro is that you have more freedom in the way that you practice. And the con is that people aren't monitored, people aren't moderated at all. And so it's a lot riskier. The qualifications that, or the mindset that I work from is called neurolinguistic programming. And so that's what I'm trained in. I'm trained as a master practitioner of um, neurolinguistic programming. I'm also a master timeline therapist. So that's a, um, a different another model as well and then I'm also a master hypnotherapist so those are the qualifications I have um, I also have a few other ones like provocative therapy and NLP coaching but that's how I got into it was I got trained in those models and life coach is essentially the umbrella term you use in using all of that but people get trained in those things for like sales and marketing so it's not necessarily the the a uh, program I did was very therapy based, but those uh, techniques can be used in any area of uh, any area of your life. So I guess just ask some questions before you maybe put too much stock in someone. I, if you ask someone, you know, what are your qualifications? They should at least be able to discuss it with you rather than you ending yeah. up with a, a Jeremy from Peep Show situation who calls himself a life coach with no training whatsoever. <laughs> I feel like the main thing is you, first of all, check that they've had training. Like that's mm-hmm. the main thing. So even if they're not accredited by anything, if they've had, if they've done courses and they should be always keeping on top of their courses. So it's not like you do it when you start and then you stop learning Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing is rapport so being able to get on with the person because ultimately there are eight billion people in the world from a human to human level you're not necessarily going to get on with that person whether it's a life coach or a psychologist and so therefore if if that's not gelling straight away don't go like oh life coaching is rubbish or psychology is rubbish um or like psychiatry is rubbish it might be that one person and so it is that case of like shopping around essentially and it's frustrating because you don't want to have to keep regurgitating your life story Mm -hmm. but it's so worth it to find the right match and if that means you have to do a first session three or four times and have to repeat that in the long run it's worth it I mean I'm with my life coach for well, it's been six years I've been with my life coach, whereas I tried maybe four or five before her and I just couldn't, like, we'd get to the third session and I was like, you're limiting my goals. <laughs> like, how is it working that way? And so then I would find a new life coach. But eventually, once I found the right person, you just stick with them. And then 
it's worth it. Um, so your new book is called The Joy of Being Selfish, Why You Need Boundaries and How to Set Them. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to give it all away because <laughs> it's, it's not out yet. But what kind of things do you discuss in the book? So I fell in love with boundaries, essentially. When I first started going to my life coach, that was probably the main thing she was teaching me. And out of everything she's taught me in the last six years, um, boundaries was the thing that changed my life. And at first, it was like learning a whole new language. Like, I remember I would go there with a situation, whether it's around a friend or someone I was dating and being like, how do I say this? Can I say this? Um, And she would have to genuinely construct the text for me. So this whole book is about how to set boundaries. And as a simple explanation, what a boundary is, is that it's the difference between me and you. It's the line between us. It's the separation between us. And it's how you can treat me and how I can treat you. And it's what we allow in terms of treatment of each other. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have a boundary, you become what's called enmeshed, where you don't know the difference between each other. So an example of that is like those uh those couples who have the same Facebook page or um, the couple who you tell your best friend about something really personal to you. And then two minutes later, you found out their boyfriend knows. And it's like, I didn't tell your boyfriend. I told you that's a boundary being crossed. Um, But they see themselves as the same person because there are no boundaries between them. And it sounds, I think some people, there are so many misconceptions around boundaries because it's in the, especially in the last year, it's a word being used so often, but there's not a lot of understanding and education around it. So then people say, so for example, if I use that example of the couple I just mentioned, they'll be like, but I want to be close to my boyfriend. I want to be close to my girlfriend. Like if we have a boundary between us, then, then uh, that's like putting a wall up. And I'm like, no, walls and boundaries are different. Walls are forcing people out that's like slamming the door in someone's face and a boundary is you safely being able to be intimate with each other while still maintaining your individualism and maintaining your separation because you're still two separate humans Mm -hmm. and that's the important part um and so that's mainly what the book's about so it's how to set boundaries literally giving you the language because the lexicon around how to stand up for yourself is not really out there and also why you deserve to set boundaries which especially with women I find is the hardest part because they either feel guilty after they set a boundary or they don't set it in the first place because they have a fear of being disliked. I think that's the interesting thing I thought about the title of the book which is the joy of being selfish so when I hear the word selfish you think selfishness is obviously seen as quite a negative trait Mm. but in this kind of situation where people do need help you know not necessarily help standing up for themselves but you know need to be able to set those boundaries do you think selfishness needs to almost be reframed as a good thing or can be a good thing yeah so one of the things I talk about in the book is the fact that like the idea of selfish so it's it's a few things so it's twofold I guess there are certain responses anytime someone sets a boundary and it's you're mean you're a bully you're selfish you're unforgiving those are such common words being used so it's almost like reclaiming a word that is used against people who set boundaries but then the second side of it is that we all talk about self-care and we talk about self-love but then because of the patriarchal society we live in women are taught to be givers to put everyone else first to be selfless so how are you meant to self-care and self-love when you have no time for yourself and one of the things I end up saying in the book is like if by the time you've done everything for everyone else when is there time for you so yes we can hypothetically get on board with the idea of self-love but Mm -hmm. actually in order to create the time for it you need boundaries so I see boundaries as the practical side of self-love whereas like when it's, I guess self-love has such a wishy-washy concept to it that people can agree with it and it's really easy. It's when it's, oh, okay, but you need to set boundaries in order to get self-love. They're like, oh, wait, no, that's too much. And I'm like, yeah, because that's the hard part. And sorry, but you don't grow in any area of your life without going through the hard part. And so that's why there's that pushback where people are called selfish, but also, um, selfish is also the method in how to set boundaries so it's a seven step process the words the the the, um acronym is that the word like happens to spell selfish so I've called it the selfish method and it's embracing the fact that 
you do need to put yourself first. You have to put yourself on the top of your priority list. And if you're not okay with the word selfish, that's fine. But you do have to put yourself higher on your priority list and prioritize the self Mm -hmm. more so in order to be able to set boundaries. I think it's interesting the way you describe it in terms of, you know, we're we're so happy now with the term self-care. Yeah. But not happy with the term selfish. I think, you know, so much of the self-care conversation now has turned into bubble baths you know and like yeah. and face masks without any of the kind of thought behind it so that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of you know selfishness being a little bit of self-careness just making the time for yourself and putting yourself first but also if you flip it the opposite of selfish is selfless right and selfless people in our society are really praised because it's mm-hmm. like oh you're so giving you're so wonderful if you actually know someone who is that selfish uh, selfless you know that it's not coming from a place of confidence or being good or being a good human. A lot of the time it's coming from a place of insecurity and because Mm -hmm. they don't feel good enough in themselves that they feel like if they pour out every part of themselves and offer that to the world, then maybe they'll be loved in return. So as much as they're doing it from a place they're not really doing it from a selfless place. They're actually doing it for them, even though they aren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of, you, you'll hear a lot of people where um, when they first get into jobs, they're like, I just want to help the world. And I'm always like, no, help yourself first. And if you help yourself, you are helping the world. Because if you take care of yourself, you take off on your friends and families list, you as something they need to take care of because you're doing the job yourself. So kind of like an extended version of the, you know, put your own seatbelt on before you help someone else kind of thing, right? Exactly. So communicating these kind of messages through a whole book and doing it in snippets on social media, which is which you do a lot of, right, must be quite a different experience. How do you find it using Instagram to give coaching advice? So I think I started giving, but even before boundaries became my main conversation, I guess, um, I found that there was a limitation in life coaching in that I just felt like I wasn't reaching enough people and that there were these conversations I wanted to have and so that's why I started giving out life coaching advice because I also got frustrated that life coaching isn't accessible and nor is therapy Mm. and like financially it's not accessible and people want to change their lives they just don't have the money to do so and then it shouldn't be money that's the obstacle so I really wanted to start making my own life coaching more accessible but then I had this guilt that I had paying clients and then I was giving out the information for free and so that's kind of when I leaned into the being an influencer for lack of a better word um and was like why don't I just fully do this I have this opportunity that most life coaches don't have And I can then make all my content available. And I don't have to be like, oh, sorry, I can't say that because like, otherwise my paying clients are going to get annoyed because I do that in a session with them and now I'm doing Mm -hmm. it for free online. Um, And so that's, that's for me the difference. I think there are huge differences in terms of the practicality of life coaching. So I try to say that like uh, what I'm doing online is not really life coaching. It's more advice than life coaching because- It's a different process. When you're sitting one-on-one with a person, we are like deep diving into your life. We're talking to your inner child. They have their eyes closed majority of the time because it's like going into your body and me being there with them and guiding them through talking to themselves more compassionately and things like that. And obviously mm-hmm. I can tailor make the the content I'm providing in a session to their actual specific context. Whereas I think, especially on social media, I have to be a bit more black and white. Whereas like, An example I use is like when it comes to um, getting back with an ex, I will tend to err on the side of saying if it's on social media, I'll be like, no, bad idea. Don't do it. If it's in a life coaching session, okay, let's take your actual context and see whether this is the right situation. Yeah, I guess it must be quite different. Is it do you still find it? as rewarding kind of being able to give as much advice even when you have to sort of condense it down into an Instagram story for example I think it's rewarding in different ways I think the life coaching was more emotionally draining and I don't have to take on board um as much from the people who are receiving the coaching when I'm doing Mm -hmm. it via social media the what like I don't get as much feedback that's another thing that Whereas in the session, I get feedback, not just from what the client says, but also from their body language. Like I know if I'm on the right track, whereas 
especially yeah. on like my Q&A Mondays, I'm throwing it out there off my gut and my instinct. I don't know if the other person is reading it and going, that makes no sense. And to be fair, it could do because I don't know you and I don't know your specific situation. So I'm giving the best advice I can based on the information you've given me, but I don't know the full story. Do you get messages back from people though when you've kind of answered their questions in your Q&A and do you manage to kind of still have those connections with people? Like, can they get back to you and say, oh, that really helped, thanks, or like, actually that wasn't quite right? Yeah, and the main thing um, that I get now is, oh, there was one thing you wrote in a caption like a week ago um, and then I went and set a boundary on it and this is how, and like I'll get a long paragraph about it, which is always really nice. And at the moment, um, I just started a new podcast and the in the podcast, uh, they can send voice notes in and I've started getting voice notes back being like, I told my friend everything that you said and this is how it worked out, which has been so nice because it's such a difference getting it over a voice note for some reason. Like when someone replies, being like telling you three minutes, that's seems more personal than even if you've written like five paragraphs in an email or in a dm yeah I think sometimes being able to I mean talking like this rather than you know not that this is an interview per se but kind of doing like a written interview you just get a bit more back and forth don't you and like yeah the way people talk is so much more flowy but I also feel like it's a real human like I don't know do you ever find that when you look at your page you're like I, I understand I have so many followers but they don't feel real until you bump into someone in the street or you get like a voice note or you talk to someone like in person. It's why I used to love doing events because before the pandemic, <laughs> because it's like, oh, there are actually people like that's not just a number. That's a real human. Yeah, totally. I do. I think that on Instagram and stuff all the time, actually, and sometimes even about myself, because I feel like, you know, there'll be people who I follow. And just sometimes it kind of pops into your head and you're like, look at their page and be like, I wonder like what they're really like as a person. And I wonder if their page is like an actual representation of them. Like, would I be surprised if I met them? And then I think, I wonder would people be surprised when they met me? Like, do I come across like I actually am or not? You're quite close to how you come across on your page. Like, I feel like there's always going to be a slight difference because even with me, I'm like, I, I try to come across as accurately as possible but you can't like it's always going to be like 60 70 percent yeah of course I mean that social media and kind of like as much as it does connect you to people it also I guess is a kind of technological boundary but it it is yeah a space in between two people you're never going to be you know fully fully immersed oh yeah on online is what probably taught me boundaries the most but also was why I needed boundaries the most because if you don't have boundaries and you've mm -hmm. come in as an influencer, which is why I sound like such an old person, but I'm always really wary when an influencer is so young um, because you don't naturally have boundaries growing up. Well, some people do, but if you weren't taught it in childhood, which the majority of us weren't, then you're, especially around like 18, 19, if I think about how many boundaries I had when I was 18, mm -hmm. like, and then you're going into an online space, which has the potential of being dangerous and even if that's just um I don't know whether you get this in your dms but like emotional dumps where people are like they don't have anyone to talk to and they've just put their whole life story yeah if you didn't have boundaries and you responded to that as much as it seems really kind you are actually not helping that person because that person is in a really vulnerable place and then they're going to start leaning on you. And if you don't mm -hmm. have the capabilities to actually support them, also no one can over DMs, like you, unless you're in the same place, unless you're in the same country, in the same city, um, and unless you're qualified to, then even if you just reply with a like, oh, I'm so sorry what you're going through, that's like an online boundary, which I feel like creates a lot of unsafe situations and unsafe conversations, especially if the person's young that they're talking to. Mm -hmm. And so I think definitely online, it's not even just the boundaries around how you talk to someone on social media, but it's also the time you spend on social media. That's something I've been working on a yeah. lot for the last year. And every time you get to a good place, I find you slip back because it is just, you're working against the natural addictiveness of the device and the platform yeah I mean you said before that boundaries are something that's talked about more often now and I do I feel like I've definitely heard the term used a lot more like in the past I don't know year 18 months or so maybe do you think part of that is because 
of social media and how sort of dependent we've become on it and everyone is so accessible to each other now and I think I do see a lot of people talking about how they get the sort of feeling of being quite burnt out with social media because you know people could be messaging you 24 hours a day if you feel like you have to be replying to them 24 hours a day or if you I, if I see people and you know they didn't post Instagram stories yesterday and they come back on like I'm so sorry I didn't post any stories yeah. yesterday to me I always think like why why are you sorry like you could be doing whatever you want with your day I think who cares like it, it's this almost slightly um I always think you're the most conscious person of yourself. And so you're really concerned about like losing your audience or that your audience are going to hate you if you don't show up enough. But again, if you return to yourself and ask yourself how you feel, how did it make you feel being off social media for a day and prioritizing your needs that you needed a break over your followers needed content, which again, I guess could be called selfish, then that's more important. But I think it's technology in general. So it's not just social media. It's the fact that um, so one of the chapters in the book is about access because we all have so much access to each other in a way that we never had before. And I mm-hmm. think the reason why there was this um, resurgence of the word boundaries, because it definitely existed before, is, well, it's twofold. One is the fact that all psychology terms have been starting to use very like colloquially, like gaslighting. Everyone's yeah. using that term. Do you really know what it means? Mm, maybe. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone's using that or red flags. Um, or toxic diet everyone's toxic at the moment and I'm like you don't know what it means (laughs) um also because I I really don't agree with toxic people I agree with toxic dynamics because I believe that I could be toxic with one person and not toxic with another that that Mm -hmm. doesn't make me a toxic human that means that we like together our interaction our dynamic is not healthy um but all of those words are starting to be thrown around and the second thing is the fact that there's so much access in terms of looking at the workplace, for example. When you left, when my dad left the office, no one contacted him when I was younger. Whereas now when I leave the office, mm-hmm. I mean, do I leave the office ever? Like if I get a text at 10 o'clock at night, I there were points in my career where I was replying to it. Um, or if someone sent me a I mean, I've had producers call me on a Saturday and have no issue, no apology around it. But then at the same time, I'm like, I could sit there and get annoyed and be like, why are they calling me on a Saturday? Or I could say, why did I pick up? And so that's my boundary. So if I had not picked up the phone, then it wouldn't have bothered me. But I picked up the phone. And so I need to create better work boundaries around when you have access to me, when my boss has access to me, when my colleagues have access to me. But also in terms of events, for every no that you say, you are saying yes to something else. But people don't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And so we don't dictate our calendars anymore. We look at our diaries and we go, do we have a free evening? Okay, yes, I'm free. I'll like I'll go but you never go do I want to go and so it's setting boundaries around your calendar it's setting boundaries in the workplace it's setting boundaries around um, exes because they're also if I go back to my teenage years when I ended a relationship there was no way to contact each other anymore like other than our phone number but now you have each other on social media you have each other there are so many ways to keep tabs on someone who used to be in a relationship with so again that's access like I don't believe my ex deserves access to me um and so it's every element of life have you found that something that's come up a lot more this year I mean 2020 obviously we all know (laughs) what we're talking about it's the pandemic year a lot more people have been working from home do you think that's had a knock-on effect have people been having more problems because I know definitely even friends of mine who've been working from home have ended up working much longer hours because it's not just a question of being able to leave the office. It's almost kind of, I don't know, in some cases sort of having to try and prove to people at work that you're still working by being available all the time. But we, you, you have the same culture. Oh, there's a phrase. I, I don't know it because I don't work in an office, but there's a phrase my office friends use um, where like you sit at your desk for the sake of it, like to prove that you're busy. So it was the same in office culture. The only difference is there's no physical boundary between where you work and where you sleep. And Mm -hmm. then there's also no 
there's the thing of if someone didn't reply to a text before you'd think they're out whereas they're now you're like well I know you're not out I know you're sitting at home so yeah. um it's that thing of I know you're free therefore I should be able to contact you and I think the other thing because I've been working from home since for five years the first two years were so hard and mm. as soon as they said lockdown I was like the world is going to really struggle with this because they don't realize how much time they waste in an office. They don't realize the amount of time they waste chatting to their colleagues at the water cooler or like kitchen. I don't know. I've never worked in an office, but something yeah. like that or like going out to smoke or whatnot. Like, but all of that, lunch hour, all of that, when you're at home, you don't have that. And so you actually work way more productively. What you get done in an hour at home is usually almost double what you get done in an office and so therefore that's why you're burning out because you're actually doing so much work than before but also you're not finishing at the like at a time as you said you're not walking out of the office um Mm -hmm. and so that's both of those things are impacting people because there's no switch off point and because we have our phones people can call us at any time people can contact us at any time so you need to be able to say like I'll get back to you on Monday which yeah. can be really scary in especially in this climate where um people are losing their jobs all the time and you're worried that if you said no that means you could lose your job but yeah. what's the alternative you're going to burn out and i burnt out towards the end of uh 2019 it's why i prioritized online boundaries so much more this year and when you burn out you are flat out for like for me it was like 2 weeks 3 weeks And Mm. you literally cannot do anything. And I just kept thinking, why did I wait until I had a breakdown to take a break? Like, I just didn't need to push myself to that point. And it's not a loving thing to do. And it's not a selfless thing to do that I, it's just bad boundaries. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every week, I'll be asking my guests some of your questions, and the first one comes in from Amy. What are the best ways to maintain work-life balance or try to relax from work when you're working and living in the same small space? So I think there are things you can do on technology that I've started using. So I've started using airplane mode a lot. So I've been turning it actually like off. You cannot reach me. Um, And also do not disturb. I've been removing notifications so that when these work intrusions come in, that they're not automatic. I'm not seeing them first of all as quickly and then I'm not acting on them. But also um, having that conversation with those people in your workplace where like I even said it to my own agent at the beginning of the year. I was like, I'm working on my online boundaries. I realize nothing I do in my career is important or urgent. No matter how important or urgent they think they are, we are not doing brain surgery. Everything will be fine. We do not need to be replying this quickly. It is absolutely fine. Everyone will survive. And I said that because it's like, I'm letting you know you're not going to be getting an instant reply anymore. (laughs) And so it's things like that where you have to have that conversation and I get it. It's awkward. It's hard. It's difficult. You don't want to be, well, I think the main thing is women are perceived as being difficult or putting or too demanding. It's not. It's self-preservation. It's taking care of yourself. And so that's the one, the main way you get work-life balance, but also um, realizing that every time you pick up your phone to do a work email or every time you pick up a work call out of hours, you are actually taking something away from whatever you are doing in that moment. Mm -hmm. It is an active transition. It's not like, 
Um, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm just watching TV. I might as well pick it up. No, watching TV is actually a valid use of time. Just because it isn't productive, like productive in the conventional sense, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not important. And I think we need to stop this hierarchy of um, being busy or being productive is more important use of our time than relaxation time, because it's part of this over glorification of being busy that this society thrives on. And we need to realize that alone time, relaxation time, downtime, whatever you want to call it, is sleep is just as important as -hmm. your productive hours. And just because you want to use it in a more chilled fashion doesn't mean it's it's a waste of time or um, it's not necessary or it can be trans uh, it could be replaced by whatever urgent demand someone else has. Absolutely. Leading on from that. Our next question is from Crystal and she asks, how do you be the protagonist of your own life? Which sort of to explain a little bit more, I think kind of centering your own happiness. (laughs) There's a TikTok (laughs) meme at the moment, which is like, you need to romanticize your life. Um, I think it's by becoming more selfish. I don't know how I feel about uh, being the protagonist in your own life because I think it's actually really important to realize that you are also the villain in someone else's story half the time and no one is no one no one is that perfect person and um so yes your life should revolve around you in that sense Mm -hmm. um but are like are you going to be the good character in everyone else's life probably not um and so in your life, how you center things more on you is by asking yourself about like, it's really, it's really cliche and really simple answer, but you ask yourself how you feel, which I know sounds really simple. But if you think about it from the perspective of, let's say someone's canceling, you don't want to go, your friend invites you to the pub, you don't want to go. Maybe this is more so out of pandemic times, but mm-hmm. the, your, your friend invites you to the pub and you don't want to go. And but you feel like you should and you said no already but you're getting this feeling inside of you which is saying but are they going to hate me maybe they'll never invite me all of those thoughts are about them now ask yourself how you feel did you feel relieved when you said no did you feel proud of yourself when you said no mm-hmm. because every time we have a thought about another person it's it's always going to be about another person it's yeah. do they hate me are they never going to invite me again are they annoyed that i canceled are they like it's always about them. So if you actually stop yourself and go, wait, no, those are all them thoughts. What are me thoughts? And what do I think right now? And how, what do I feel right now? And check in with your body. Because I don't think we, as a society, uh, place enough um, emphasis that our body tells us a lot. And mm-hmm. inside our body, we can feel whether we feel good about a decision or not. But we ignore that because of all the chatter in our heads. And we can get distracted by the noise in our heads. When actually, if you just sat, took a deep deep breath and go, no, I actually feel relieved. I don't have to leave the house. Like, that's why I said no. And remind yourself of why you made that decision and that there was a reason you said that. So stick to what you said because you were prioritizing yourself, even if the resulting consequences, this guilt or whatever, those um, emotions aren't a sign you made the wrong decision. I think that's really good advice. Okay, so next question is from Sabine, who asks, how do you strike the balance between being a good supportive sibling or friend or partner without being constantly available or ready to save someone else? I think this is controversial, but I think you're a good supportive um, person when you let people do it themselves. Like you we spend so much time caretaking other other people around us and what's implicit in that is you don't believe they're capable of doing it themselves so yes if you have the energy sit there and listen support them but don't make decisions for them don't feel like you have to um a lot of the time when someone's angry for example you'll get angry for them no you can sit there in your calmness and in your peace and support them in their anger you don't need to feel it for them so um the the way I believe I'm a good friend or I'm a great partner is I take care of my own emotions. I won't rely on you to do that for me. I can cry by myself. I can process something by myself. And all of those skills took time and it took years and it's not a quick fix. But bit by bit, 
by getting okay with my own company and getting okay with like dealing with situations myself and realizing the difference between um support and emotionally dumping on someone mm-hmm. was a huge thing in my life so I was the worst culprit of this I used to like if I was angry um weirdly like this is such a silly situation but the first idea that the first situation came in my head was someone stole my content on social media and it really annoyed me Um, and I was like I know this is silly and I know it's stupid but it really annoyed me and I got instantly angry and you know when like you're just like the emotion comes into your body like so quickly yeah and it's come out of nowhere and it was because it was a really like personal caption that I'd written about rejection and then I feel like I felt rejected that someone else had taken it. Um, But what I did is I went and like fired off three texts to people. I didn't even wait for one person to reply. I just like fired off texts. Um, And then, uh, oh, this is why it's coming to my head. I tell this story in the book, but one of my friends then went and commented on that post and was like, this caption looks familiar. And I was like, oh, why do you do that? That's not what I wanted. Like that's not, I just wanted to vent. But then I like I think because that happened it made me take a step back and I was like oh that was not that was not support like that wasn't going to my friends for support that was emotionally dumping because I didn't even take a breath between me feeling that anger and me then like essentially projecting it to someone else and it's that space between it where it was like I couldn't even sit with it for a second because the anger was so big and instant no matter what it was about like I know I'm talking about social media which is quite trivial but like this could be anything um, Mm -hmm. whether it's your mum body shaming you or whatnot um it was so instant that like if I was honest with myself I didn't want to sit in that discomfort. So what did I do? I took that anger, passed it off to someone else. And yeah. I was like, here, first person to reply, I'll actually have a conversation with you, but <laughs> I'm not actually going to wait for one person to reply. Um, and it's those interactions, I think, is the best way to know the difference is you have to know when you're supporting someone and when you're being on the receiving end of an emotional dump. And it's okay to say, I don't have the emotional capacity for this right now. Or like uh, what I tend to do is I tend to reply with what I call a low investment reply where I'll just be like, oh, that sucks. But like, if you actually send me a text being like, hey, do you have a moment? And then talk to me about something Then I'll Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, sure. Because I agree to this conversation. I haven't agreed to you then dumping everything but what happened that situation was because I was so instantly angry and because I had bad boundaries around it and then my friend who commented on that post had bad Mm -hmm. boundaries around it it now was like I was dealing with all of that situation and all that meant was I never dealt with the anger around it I mean I did later because I recognized what had happened yeah but it's that's where I think in order to be a good friend sister employee whatnot um being able to take ownership of your own emotions and knowing when you need to sit with something. And that's not to say like, if I sat with it was like, okay, some of this is coming up from childhood because like I feel rejected and that was a really personal thing. Some of it, I'm actually still annoyed about it, but it wouldn't be at that intensity. So there's the saying, um, if it's, if it's hysterical, then it's historical, which I know there's quite a sexist history to the word hysterical, Mm. but it comes from AA that saying, Um, and essentially if you overreact to something which I don't like using the word overreact because it's always used towards women but like if you have a big reaction and you're like I'm not really sure why it's usually coming from the past because if someone stole my content I wouldn't normally like react that in that bigger way yeah or I wouldn't care that much to be honest but in that moment I did because it was specifically about something and it reminded me about a feeling and so it was about so much more than that and if I'd been able to sit with it I would have recognized that rather Mm -hmm. than be like I mean I could spend the next week talking about that but all of that would be a distraction and meaning that I don't focus on the actual problem at hand yeah I mean all our questions are leading in together so nicely today (laughs) Um, our last one is from Jess so on the subject of, you know, dealing with your own emotions and kind of listening to what you're doing within yourself. Jess's question is, any tips for how to coach yourself through difficult or challenging moments or decisions? Like key questions you should ask yourself out loud to help you get the most rational outcome. So you need to look at your values when it comes to that. So if it's a decision in your career, you need to look at what's important to you and asking yourself what's important to me in my career. And if the words... 
um, like accomplishment come up or money comes up or um, appreciation. So my top values are probably appreciation, accomplishment and um, creativity. And so then if I'm making a decision about whether I should move from one job to another, then I can go, okay, so does it fulfill my main three criteria in my career? Do do I get creativity from it? Okay, I get more creativity, but I get less um, appreciation maybe because I don't have a superior who's going to be able to see feedback. And being Mm -hmm. able to look at your values will give you a better way of knowing whether it fulfills Essentially, your values show you how what, what fulfills you in that area of your life. So in a romantic relationship, your values could be um, love, it could be sex, it could be um, fun, it could be enjoyment, and your values change. So like I tend to do, I actually sit down and do all my values in my different areas of life. Um, I try to do it once a year, um, and I tend to do it on New Year's. I'm quite a cliche. <laughs> um, oh, I like that. But it's it's really important because when when it comes to big decisions, I'm like, oh, okay. And it's also quite interesting because then you can see how what I wanted in my love life four years ago is so different to what I want in my love life now. Like I used to have yeah. excitement in one of my main values. I do not want excitement now. I want safety. <laughs> I want security. I like do not want any intensity or any of that. So like it's, it's interesting to see how you change, but then it makes... Um, it's basically figuring out what makes you happy in each area of your life. And so you can look at this list and go, oh, that makes sense why I hated that job. Or, oh, that makes sense why that relationship never worked because he never appreciated when I cooked him dinner or because like appreciation is really important to me. Or in the same thing where I could be like, oh, um, I really need appreciation. My partner's not giving that to me right now. And I can say, hey, one of my top values in relationship is appreciation so I know it's not a big thing but when I cook dinner like a thank you would be really nice um and being able to communicate that because you actually know what the problem is rather than all you feel is like resentment and you don't know why now you can look at your values and be like oh it's because I'm not being appreciated Remember, if you want to get in touch with us or have any questions for future episodes, email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. Before you go, I have three things I ask of every guest, and that's if listeners want to learn more, find out more about what we've been talking about, can you give us something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Yeah, so I actually, really frustratingly, I read this book after I finished writing my own book and I read every book on boundaries, couldn't find anything that I wanted to include. And then the moment I finished it, the moment I handed it in and it was like, nope, you can't change anything. I found um, a really good book by Pia Melody called The Intimacy Factor. And she talks about boundaries in a very different way to me. She's quite, um, I'm quite macro about boundaries. So I separate boundaries into like, material boundaries physical boundaries intellectual boundaries emotional boundaries where she Mm -hmm. talks about like talking and listening boundaries which I would put talking and listening boundaries under conversational boundaries which I would put under intellectual boundaries but like going down to that like micro level and being like how do you listen with good boundaries how do you talk with good boundaries um I found that book really interesting and I really agree with how she talks about boundaries I think everyone slightly disagrees at the moment because it's such a new area Um, but that was one book I loved and I I generally love Pia Melody she has another book called Facing Love Addiction and she um her model around love life where she talks about love addicts and love avoidance really revolutionized the way I thought about my own love life and actually is now the way I coach around love life because I think it's just I've never seen anything like it and I'm just a fan of Pia Melody. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Could you recommend us something to listen to, please? There's an amazing podcast by Esther Perel called Where Should We Begin? And I'm quite a psychology geek and I love the fact that it's essentially a whole podcast where she's doing therapy with a couple and you're literally a fly on the wall in these couples therapy sessions. And it's so interesting because like I'm not married and most of these couples are married, but just how they interact with each other and being a third person observer in the situation, you could be like, oh, that's how communication goes wrong. And you see it so clearly when you're not part of the situation, but it's 
probably the most interesting podcast in terms of um, the format um, that I've listened to, but also in terms of understanding boundaries and how you communicate within a romantic relationship. It's a really great listen. That sounds like a really good one. I'm definitely going to check that one out. And finally, if you have a recommendation for something for us to watch, please. I just watched The Social Dilemma, so I would encourage you to watch it. I didn't think it was actually the best documentary, but it is a very good documentary to motivate you to create online boundaries and realise what's how it's a very slippery slope to let yourself... Um, just go with naturally how much you want to be on social media like you have to very actively want to change your relationship with your phone and change your relationship with social media and I feel like social dilemma gave me all the motivation I needed to make the changes that I've been trying to make since January but um it's it's one of those it's not a linear progress chart (laughs) it's like you make an improvement and then you slip back down and you get a bit lax with it and your phone's in your bedroom again and then you're like nope phone's out of the bedroom laptop out of the bedroom um and you start all over again but it's a good motivation and I think the best part for me um was when they said that all these tech people don't let their children use social media I was like you created something and you don't even let your own children use it I have heard that actually, so I still haven't watched this. I keep meaning to watch it. I almost don't want to know. It's kind of blissful ignorance, but I do. I, I do off. need to. I need to watch that as well. Because I was like, if I watch this, am I going to quit my job? Because so I didn't watch it for like a month, and I was like, I'm not watching it because then I'm going to. It's going to make my job more difficult, and I'm. It, it didn't make me want to quit my job, but it did make me very conscious about how much time I'm spending on it. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode of Good Influence. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate and review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.